Well, it's warm, so why don't you all stand up very quickly? And we're going to have a pop quiz inside the multicultural Rudy Hill Leisure Centre. I want everybody to point to the Australian Indigenous flag. Nice, you can all see it. Okay. I want you all to point to the Japanese flag. Oh. Just follow the person who's pointing. Some random person points that way, and everyone's like, no, that's not it. That's over there. And our Lebanese friends, where's your flag? And last one, Fiji. Oh, fingers again. Indeed. All right, take a seat. We are a multicultural church. We have a multicultural vision, and it's great that we can kind of get a vision of that in this building as well. Let's pray as we spend this time in God's Word. Now, Father, we do thank you for this day. And despite the heat, we pray that you give us ears not only to hear your word, but you give us hearts that are eager to receive it and wills that are eager to put it into practice. For Jesus' sake, we pray. Amen. In the West, we love our freedom and we love our freedom of choice, but our access to choice can also be paralysing. Let me tell you a story. Many of you know that we just came back from long service leave in August and September and we took our caravan around northern New South Wales. And in one town in northern New South Wales, we pulled our caravan in and the deal is when you pull into a caravan park, you can't just drive straight in. You have to kind of pull over to the side and then go into the main office and check in. And then they will tell you where to park your caravan, which site is yours. So we wandered into the office, well, I wandered in, uh, to the office and said, hi, we are the Smith family and we're ready to check in. And we did the whole check-in process and they said, off you go. And I went, no, 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 which site are we on? Where do we need to go? And the office manager said, oh, here, we just let our customers choose where they want to stay. And we're like, oh, wow, that's so cool. Well, which sites are available? And they said, I don't know, just drive around the caravan park and choose one. Which sounds amazing. But when the caravan park is reasonably empty, we found ourselves driving around the caravan park at least twice because we couldn't decide on which site we wanted. Well, this site was nice, it's, but it's, oh, it's, it's a bit far from the jumping pillow. So oh, this site's all right too, but it's a bit hard to back a big caravan in. Choice is great in theory, but sometimes our freedom of choice can be paralysing paralysis by analysis at some times. We live in a world full of choice, but not just in caravan parks. Of course, we have so many freedoms and so many choices in the West. The cars that we drive, the food that we eat, the mobile phones that we carry in our pocket, even when it comes to spirituality and religion, there is an abundance of choice for us. And Australia, like ancient Greece, is a melting pot of spirituality and religious ideas. According to the Bureau of Statistics, 74% of Australians in a secular world still believe in God, although 22% only you know, come to church each and every week. Faith used to shape all of life, but for many now, faith is just like everything else in the West, an optional extra. A comfort for when you need it, but it's not necessary... And you ought not to take it too seriously, is what we are often told. Maybe you have seen that in others. Maybe you have even started to see it in your own experience 
of religion and spirituality. But is that right? Is faith in God just another option? An extra if we like it, but not necessary. Well, today we conclude our recharge season for 2020. And we finish with Paul in Athens. The capital of Greece and the ancient capital of Greece. This has been Paul's second missionary journey, taking the gospel to mainland Europe for the very first time. And we've seen, along with Paul, the barrel rolls and the ups and downs of mission. We've seen many receive the gospel, the good news of Jesus, with great joy. But we've also seen, particularly those of a Jewish religious point of view, reject the gospel out of jealousy. We've seen that over the last few weeks. And as Paul walked around the ancient city of Athens, I have no doubt that it would have been an awe-inspiring experience. If you know anything about ancient Athens, it's architectural masterpieces, a city of art and culture and sculptures, beautiful sculptures everywhere. And I imagine if Paul had the iPhone 11 back in the day, he may have been walking around taking selfies in front of all of these beautiful buildings and artworks. But what we're told in Acts 17 is that Paul saw, first and foremost, in this beautiful city, is that it was full of idols. Full of idols. And whatever feelings of artistic appreciation he may or may not have had, We're told in Acts 17 the predominant feeling that he had walking around this beautiful city was that he was troubled within. Other English translations say he was indignant. He was angry within his guts as he looked at this beautiful city. The city had spirituality and religious options everywhere. There were altars for every god under the sun. And we're also told in verse 23 that they even had an altar to the unknown God. Now, this might appear to be the ultimate cosmic edging of your bets. But it could also be an indication that even for these enlightened Greeks, these founts of wisdom and philosophy and culture, that maybe they, even amongst all the options and choices that were there, maybe they've missed one. Maybe they've missed the real God behind the universe. And Paul picks up on this in verse 23 and says to the men of Athens and to anybody who I think would be willing to listen, therefore what you worship in ignorance, this unknown God, this I proclaim to you. So who is the real God? And amongst a world of religious options, which is the true and living God. Well, in Acts 17, Paul starts his three-point sermon. And his first point is this, that the real God created us, created everything. We read the God who made the world and everything in it. He is Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in shrines made by hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. Paul says the real God is the maker of everything. He made the universe and the world in all of its complexity and beauty. Life didn't just come into existence by a random act of chance. 
Paul says it had a beginning. And therefore it has a meaning and a purpose. And because of that, because of who God is, Paul says it's absurd to think that we humans can make this shrine or this special temple or this special building and box God in. He's the maker of heaven and earth. Who are humans to think that they can control who God is? That's the first thing he says. The real God created everything. Humans didn't create him. He created us. And so God is not bound to an individual country. There's no one flag that says that's God's flag. God is the ruler of all the nations. The second thing Paul says about the real God is that he cares for us. Verse 26, from one man he made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. He did this so they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. A few years ago, Ness and I went to Switzerland. Can you point to where the Switzerland flag is? Where's the Switzerland flag? There we go. And when we were in Switzerland, I wanted to buy an authentic Swiss watch. A Swatch. Swiss watch. And I did. And it was amazing. You know, the makers of Swiss watches, they know what they're doing. They, you know, intricately design it. They, I don't know if they wind it up, but they, you know, design it in such a way that when I pull it out of a box and assuming the battery's in there, it works fine. And I don't need to go back to the Swiss watch makers to ask. It just works. Now, sometimes people think that that's what God is like. That when God made the whole universe, after he finished it, he stepped back and is not interested in the world anymore. Just leaves it ticking without any influence or care. But we see here in Acts 17 that that is not the real God. The real God is not some distant, disinterested deity, but he is a kind, caring king. He is not far from each of us. He is close to us if we open our eyes and be willing to see him. Now my problem, and I don't think I'm the only one, is that when it comes to God, he gives us so many other good things to enjoy in life. All the things that the kids listed in that beautiful video. Screens, sport, shoes, God gives us so many wonderful things to enjoy, but sadly these good things can become God things in our own life. Altars on which we sacrifice our time, our talents and our treasure. And in my experience, we don't often consciously or even deliberately choose to do that. We just drift into it like a canoe on a river. We believe the advertising and we grasp after these good things, thinking that they will give us what we ultimately long for in life. And just by default, God gets squeezed out of our life. A cushion to fall back on, maybe, but not our king. But our God is a God who cares for us and is interested in our lives. And the third thing, the real God, according to Paul, calls us. He created us. He cares about us. And he calls us. 
Therefore, verse 30, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. We live in a world of choice and God here calls all of us to make a choice. To repent. Repent just simply means to turn around. You've been going in this one way, you grab the steering wheel, you turn it around and you head in the other direction. A change of mind leading to a change of action. When I was a kid, my brothers and I were playing cricket in my parents' lounge room. And my brother bowled this beautiful full toss. And what is a teenager meant to do when your brother throws a beautiful full toss except snatch it to the other side of the lounge room for six? The only thing is, my mother's china cabinet was on the boundary with mum's crystal decanter sitting on top. And of course, the cricket ball hit the crystal decanter broke it in two. My mother came home and saw it and said, what happened? And so I did what any brother did. I said it was his fault. (laughs) He bowled the full toss. What was I meant to do? And then when I realised the blame game doesn't actually work in reality, and it never does, can I say, I repented. I acknowledged the wrong that I had done, and I said to Mum, I will never play cricket in the lounge room, or at least in front of your china cabinet, ever again. I turned around. A change of mind to a change of action. And Paul says here that God now commands all people, everywhere, no matter who you are, no matter what flag you fly, everyone must turn back to God and make that choice. And he gives us a good reason uh, to do it. Verse 31, because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness, when God will say, look, enough's enough. The world is a mess and it's time for me to make it right again. So in light of that, can I say, even in the middle of a hot day, today is a good day to get real with the real God. And the great news of the Bible is that no matter who we are or what we've done, despite our idolatry and our rebellion, God cares about us. And if we turn back to him, he will turn to us and welcome us home. Throughout Athens, Paul talked about God raising Jesus from the dead. And although it doesn't mention it in Acts 17, I'm assuming that given Paul talked about Jesus rising from the dead, he also talked about Jesus dying, because to be raised from the dead, you need to be dead first. And no doubt he would have reminded the Athenians of why Jesus died. To be a substitute for all humanity. To live the perfect life that they wouldn't. To offer up his life as the one true perfect sacrifice for sin. And when God raised him from the dead, it's like God the Father put his stamp of approval on Jesus' life and death. Saying, he has done it. If you turn back to me and you trust what Jesus has done then you too can be raised to life and enjoy friendship with me uh, forever. God cares. Friends, it's time for us to get real with the real God. You remember those famous words from John 3.16? This is the real life that the real God offers us if we really turn back to him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
So friends, it's time to get real. To get real with the real God. Will you? Will you get real? You know, my kids often say, Dad, get real. I don't think they say it in a positive sense. But Paul is saying here in Acts 17, it's time, friends, to get real with the real God. Now, some of Paul's hearers, we're told in verse 32, ridiculed him. You know, they didn't take what he had said about God seriously, much like those earlier Athenians when he was listening in the marketplace, saying, what is this pseudo-intellectual trying to say? Which is a great insult, isn't it? And in our culture and world still today, in our institutions of art and education and high culture, Christians are still often mocked and ridiculed. So don't be surprised that if you do get real with God, that there'll be those that don't like you as a result. But we also need to be careful of responding to ridicule with retreat. Paul never retreated. He faithfully, gently and respectfully engaged with the culture that he was visiting, trying to get them to engage with the real God. And God always has this habit in the scriptures and even in my own experience of turning an awkward or even a horrible situation into something good. You know, a recharged disciple. That's what we've been thinking about this month of November. How to be a recharged disciple. A recharged disciple is not a retreating disciple. A recharged disciple never retreats. And I wonder whether some of the reasons that we often retreat as a disciple of Jesus, you know, the reasons we don't do what Paul did, you know, in boldness, stand in the marketplace, or even just in our own families around the dinner table and talk about Jesus. Maybe one of the reasons we retreat is that we don't feel what Paul felt. You know, what did Paul feel as he walked around Athens? He was troubled with him, indignant. He had this jealousy inside for the honour of God. And God wasn't being honoured. And that irked him inside. And then that feeling, where did that feeling come from? It came from what he saw, a city full of idols. And I wonder whether we retreat, it's because we don't feel what Paul feels. And I wonder whether we don't feel what Paul felt because we don't see what Paul saw. We see our own little life and all the different issues and problems that are going on in our own life, but we don't see our city. We don't see our world and how the majority of our world is not honouring God in the way that they are living. It's time today to get real with the real God. And so today is a good day to pray. If you're a follower of Jesus, Lord, open my eyes to see the world, the city, Minchinbury, as you see it. And to feel for it as you feel for it. And then to engage with it. And that's my prayer at the end of this recharge season as we seek to be recharged for another season of mission and ministry together. That a recharged disciple wouldn't retreat, but would keep kicking on. And of course... There is a great blessing at the end of Acts 17. That even though many ridiculed, many mocked, there were some again, like in every other city that Paul went, that believed. Whenever the gospel is preached faithfully, people do believe it. It may not be your own experience every time you've tried to share your faith with someone that they believe, but it does happen. God is good. 
He is faithful. Don't retreat, friends. Keep standing up. Keep pressing on. Trusting that God is good. In a moment, we're going to sing together. And in this song, it's called Behold Our God. I wonder if you could echo these words in your heart. Behold our God, the real God, seated on his throne. Come, let us adore him. Behold our king. Nothing can compare. Let us adore him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the real God. In a world full of different idols and spiritual options, Thank you for opening our eyes to see you as the true and living God, the one who created us, the one who cares for us, and the one who calls us back to yourself in Christ. Help us never to retreat, but to keep rolling on. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before we sing, we're going to show a video. Uh, Throughout COVID 2020, um, we've been videoing different members of our congregation, asking them, in the midst of a world that's gone nuts, and full of chaos, how has God still been good? What's God been teaching you this year? And so here's a bit of a highlights package of that.